Good morning. Before I preach, I, I always pray something before I come up, and I'll share it with you, and that is, God, may, my, may I show the heart and the mind of Jesus to the hearts and the minds of the good people. And for you, it's the good people of RBC. I think most of you know who I am, but if this is your first time or you're, you're watching online, I'm... Travis Mitchell, uh, the pastor of First Baptist Church in Brewster. Uh, pastor Chuck and I were good friends. Uh, we, uh, he came here two months before I came here to the area. Uh, we connected shortly thereafter. And we've been meeting every month for about seven years. And... You can consider us like pastor accountability partners. And so uh, um, I miss Chuck. I miss his counsel. I miss his prayers. I, I miss his smile. I, I miss his laughter. I, I miss our friendship. I, I miss the uh, us sharing the ups and downs of our personal lives and our ministries. I miss him. God will use people who didn't know Chuck or just knew of him to give you comfort, to give you guidance, but, but that's not me. Right? I'm, uh, I am still grieving. I'm, I'm, I'm still trying to process Chuck's decision to take his own life. So, so, I, I, so I'm going to share with you a message, but you just need to know that it's a, I'm a fellow griever. Today, I want to share three short letters with you. To help you navigate the, the complexities of a, of a pastor's decision to take his own life. Uh, you need that, I need that. Remember, I'm a fellow griever. Uh, these short letters, the first one is a, a letter that I believe reflects the heart of Jesus to you right now, RBC. This letter will have a, actually just a heads up, there's a word in there that you might think is odd. Might be out of place. That you would wonder, is that really Jesus saying that? That leads to the second letter which is going to be where we spend most of our time today. So it's a portion of Scripture. And then the third letter is a letter from me to you. So three short letters today. Uh, before I share the first letter, uh, I wanted to, to open up with prayer. Uh, this prayer is something that I wrote myself about one hour 
after hearing the news about Pastor Chuck's death. I, I wrote it for myself, but I wrote it also on behalf of you, RBC. And so here is the prayer. Join with me. God, I come in the name of Jesus on behalf of myself and the beautiful, grieving, and stunned family of RBC. How, how do you pray in such a situation? Oh, merciful Lord, bring your loving heart and presence to bear on confused and shocked minds, including my own. May your mercy come in profound and supernatural ways as the, as the questions multiply. Like, why? What did I miss? What are we to do now? Would you multiply your mercies evermore? God, my, my heart is so confused. But I run to you. Where else can I go in my disbelief, in my sadness? May RBC also run to you with the wide range of emotions that they will go through by the hour and the day. God, no one understands, like you, how distressed the mind can become, even to the point of losing all desire to live. No one understands, like you, the guilt and shame. No one understands, like you, betrayal, loss, forsakenness, emptiness. And no one knows how to love in the most broken of all stories, like you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you are for RBC, that you're for me. Thank you, you're going to pour out your love on RBC. Thank you, that how you will meet us where we're at and take us into your provision. Our hope is in you. And Jesus is comforting, gracious, and strong name. Amen. Here's the first letter. Dear RBC, I deeply care about what you are going through. I weep with you over Chuck's death. I am angered over Chuck's death. Look to me, for I am your life. I got you. Jesus. Remember how I mentioned there might be a word that you might think is out of place. Odd. Needs a little bit more unpacking, explanation. And it's maybe the word anger. Really? Jesus is angered over Chuck's death? His decision to take his own life? Oh, you bet he is. But what does that mean? That raises up questions. Like why? What, what is he angry about? Oh, exploring the answer to that will, not if, but will help you as you experience the garden of grief. And speaking of grief, let me just bust two myths. There's more, but here's, here's two. Here's the first one, myth number one. If 
I just got an explanation of why, then my grief would be less painful. And oh, I, mean, I wish that was true. The truth is, explanations do not comfort. What comforts is the presence of God through the people of God. And more on that later. Myth number two is grief has an expiration date. It's not true. Truth is, uh, grief comes in waves, and you never get over it. But by God's grace, you will get through it. Uh, perhaps there might be a few of you who wonder, like, is this really true? Because uh, you need to test what you hear. Is it really true that Jesus gets angry? Oh, don't take my word. I want to invite you to open up uh, the Bible to John chapter 11 or your phone app. We're going to start reading in verse 33. All right, that leads. This is going to lead to the second letter, which is Scripture. Uh, I think maybe many of us are going to be familiar okay, with, with John 11. This is where Jesus comes to raise Lazarus from the dead. Before he does that. He, he sits, he comforts two grieving sisters, Mary and Martha. Oh, but Jesus gets angry in the midst of grief. Now, when we think about the anger of Jesus, maybe, maybe there's a few of you that think, oh, I, I think of John 11. We, for years, I, I didn't, I didn't. Think of John 11 when it came to the, the anger of Jesus. I, I thought of like John chapter 2, when Jesus flips over the tables. All right, this, this represents that, that corruption and injustice and the mistreatment of minorities angers Jesus. Maybe some of us also uh, that are familiar with the Bible would be like, oh, but, but Jesus also got angry at the, the religious establishment. So like Matthew chapter 23, he, he gives a, a long list. He calls the religious leaders of the day snakes and hypocrites and blind guides. He, he, there's this anger in him because of self-righteousness. When you're not desperate for Jesus, uh, there's always some self-righteousness. And that angers Jesus. But so does this image. John 11. Here's the word of the Lord. Verse 33 through 37. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from Dying. Oh, the, 
The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. May God bless the reading of his inspired word. Some of you might be scratching your heads because you're like, we just read this passage, where, where is the anger of Jesus? Well, it's there, uh, I'll point it out to you, but first, let's talk about the shortest verse in the Bible, verse 35, Jesus wept. Jesus wept with Mary and Martha. RBC, Jesus weeps with you as a church family. And, and, and Jesus is bringing you on a path. You didn't sign up for this. I didn't sign up for this. But Jesus is going to shine His greatness even though you can't see it right now. Well, why would, why would Jesus do something like that? Well, in the garden of God's grace, even broken and grieving trees, that's you and me, bear fruit. Good fruit. The fruit that is being born right now and in the coming weeks and months and years. That's right. Years. When you're talking about a pastor's decision to take his own life, it's, it's not weeks, it's not months. You're looking at years to navigate the complexities of this. But Jesus wants to bear good fruit uh, to you, through you, to each other, and, and to a watching community. Fruit that is that's refreshing to the soul. Fruit that is life-giving. The watching world. We all need to know that God is real and God is trustworthy and God is peace and God cares. And if anyone wonders, is Jesus worthy of my trust? Is He worthy of my surrender when I have all these unanswered questions? When I'm in the midst of grief? Let Jesus' tears be your answer. Jesus knows you. He cares about you. This is how we know that God is trustworthy. In the midst of tragedy, Jesus wept. And so the next time you cry, just know that Jesus is crying with you. Uh, the next time maybe you, you are not the type of personality that, that, that demonstrates emotion. You know, like you, don't, might have, you might not have literal tears, but you're crying on the inside. You, you have a, a deep sadness. Just know. Jesus is right there with you, expressing the same sadness. He weeps with you. He cares for you. He is trustworthy. Well, now we come to his anger. 
It's right there. It's right there. Verse 33. This phrase. He, when it says, he was deeply moved. Alright, there it is. Now, in most English translations, uh, the NIV, the, the ESV, the King James, it, it says something like this. But, but, the, but the Greek word here, okay, the Greek word here uh, is uh, embry malmai. Right? And it means to, to roar, to snort with anger. I, I'm, I'm, I know the English translation, the New Living Translation, actually says that he welled up in anger. Right? That's why we don't think about the anger of Jesus in grief, because we're familiar with this story, but it doesn't directly say in English, Jesus got angry, but, but it's there in the Greek. So, so this isn't, no, I know some of us are like, I don't know if I'm angry, but... I'm frustrated. That's just a mild form of anger. But but here Jesus in verse 33, and, and he also gets angry again in verse 38. He's, he's roaring with anger in the midst of the grace. I, I, I wonder if that surprises you. That, that Jesus is coming to comfort two grieving sisters and yet, he weeps with them, but he is angry. Likewise, he's, he's weeping with you, RBC, but he's also angry. Ha. Grief and sadness goes with anger. It's, it's right there in the text. Of course, the big question is, is who is Jesus angry at? What is he angry over? Certainly, Jesus could have prevented this. Prevented the death of Lazarus. But he did not. So, Jesus can't be angry at himself. He, he can't be angry at the, at the good, good father. He does whatever the, the will of the Father is. Jesus isn't angry with Mary or Martha for Lazarus' death. It was, it was not their fault. Likewise, uh, Chuck's decision to take his own life was not your fault. Was it my fault? Jesus is not angry at Lazarus. Somehow he, he, he got what he deserved. Here I, I just need to pause and say that I am so unlike Jesus. See, see I, I'm, I'm just being real. I... I with Chuck's decision to take his own life, I've gotten angry at myself. Maybe I could have probed a little bit more. I, I could have asked maybe a, a question. Oh, my goodness, the, the lack of sleep. Just my mind going through. And, and sometimes it just wanders, but sometimes like 
I'm disappointed. I'm frustrated. I get angry at myself. There's times when I've gotten angry at God. Why did you allow this? There's certainly there, there are a number of Christian leaders who, 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 have comp- who have considered taking their own life, but, but you intervened and, and like, God, why didn't you intervene in some way? I've been angry at God because Chuck was a, was a good friend. He was a, a good pastor. We, we actually need more pastors like Chuck, not less. We need more fathers like Chuck, not less. Uh, I've been angry at God because He knows better than anyone the harm, that's right, the harm that a Christian leader's decision to take their own life, how it, how it shakes a church family. It, 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 it puts you, it thrusts you into a place where you don't want to be. And not only that, but, but there's individual Christians who, who like get disconnected from church, who maybe leave the faith. Certainly, there are not yet Christians who use the decision of a Christian leader to take their own life. As, as, as another reason, like, that's why I'm not going to say yes to Jesus. Like, like, God knows all that. So I've been angry at God. Here's, I told you I'm so unlike Jesus. I'm desperate for His grace. I've also been angry at my good friend Chuck himself. I, I, I share that. I'm just being real. I mean, he was a good friend, and I've gotten angry at him. Maybe, maybe you've gotten angry at him, and maybe, and maybe you're like me. You, you kind of feel guilty, like, oh, I don't know, I shouldn't be angry, but, but you, you got your emotions. I'm like, how come, like Chuck, how come you didn't share with me? You had opportunities. Oh. Maybe a few of you can identify. Yeah, I've gotten angry at myself. I've gotten angry at God. And I've gotten angry at Chuck. Or, or maybe, maybe most of us can identify, hey, I've gotten angry at least one of the three. See, the thing is, anger always attaches itself to an object. I mean, there's, there's other sources, like people can get angry at church leadership. Uh, people can take out their anger, uh, be it themselves, uh, a Christian leader, God, to, to a loved one. And so back to the question, who is Jesus roaring at? The answer is death. Jesus' object of his anger was death. And I, I can't tell you the, the times where I've had to redirect my anger. I know I'm going to have to do it again. I, I share this with you so that you don't suppress 
your anger. All right? You don't lash out at someone. You don't store bitterness in your heart. Oftentimes, when you talk about grief, we don't talk about anger or frustration. But let's talk about it because Jesus, he welled up with anger at the death of Lazarus. And in the midst of, of grieving and weeping, he was, he was angry. And so when you get angry, I mean, a lot of times we wonder, I feel angry, what do I do? Can I even talk about it? Oh, the church should be the safest place to ask and process our questions. So redirect your anger to where Jesus directed his. Death. Uh, Now the reason why Jesus directed his anger uh, to death, because because he he was resurrection, He, he was life. And, and, and because he was life, death was the focus. And so his all-consuming love for you, but also his, his anger at death, drove him to the cross. In fact, Jesus continues to disarm. I mean, he conquered death, but he continues to disarm death. To, to, to cancel death. When his church, RBC, becomes the answer to his prayer, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when you're, so RBC, when you're the church, in, in the garden of grief, to bear much fruit, like you are being an ambassador of life, not death. When you call out corruption and injustice and the mistreatment of minorities, and you call out self-righteousness, you're you're making a statement for life and redemption and resurrection, not, 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 not death. Whenever you run to Jesus in the Word and in prayer, and you do life with other Christians. You're, you're, you're seeking the kingdom of life, not death. Perhaps some of you are like, okay, uh, that was good, but, but, but here's a practical question. What can I do with my roller coaster ride of emotions? My, my anger, my sadness, my despair, my just wanting to isolate, suppress, I'm going to give you two things. One is commit to be emotionally honest. You cannot grow or allow Jesus to pastor you if you're not honest with Him or yourself or with other people. So choose to be emotionally honest. Like like what I'm trying to model with you right now. And how we need to redirect our anger. We need to redirect our emotions, because here's the deal. Our emotions have movement. That's why they're called emotions. So where are your grieving emotions leading you? 
Life or death? Uh, Dependence on Jesus or independence from Jesus? Community or isolation? Being honest emotionally or trying to hide behind what's, what's spiritual or what's religious? Be emotionally honest. Second thing that you can do with your roller coaster ride of emotions is to establish, renew, reignite spiritual rhythms. For predictability paves the way to stability. Routine develops resilience and structure leads to steadiness. My greatest need as I grieve Chuck's death is to allow Jesus to pastor me. And I would suggest to you that's your greatest need. And so creating, renewing spiritual rhythms creates the space for Jesus to pastor you. Yes, RBC has godly leaders. And and, and they're going to try to create some structure and routines for you. But no one can walk with God for you, but you. That's up to you and me. And so I, I, I know that your, our emotions, remember, they have movement. Where are your emotions taking you? And oftentimes, when we're grieving, we want to pull back. I, I want to grieve on my home. But remember, often the, the best way God comforts His people through His presence is through the people of God. Now, I want to, maybe this is not you, but I know it's someone. You feel unmotivated. You're grieving. And my encouragement to you would be to tell someone. I'm unmotivated to to establish or renew or reignite spiritual rhythms. I'm unmotivated to show up on Sunday morning or or to these spaces that that the the leadership team will create. Well, tell someone so they can pick you up. Because you're not going to get there, but you tell someone and they will pick you up. You feel unmotivated to read the Word of God. You know you should. So tell someone, and they will call you up and say, let's read the word together over the phone. Oftentimes, after a pastor makes the decision to take his own life, as Chuck did, there's a leaning in of the church. But after a couple months, some people just naturally just, they pull away. They pull away. And so, maybe that's you. Maybe you're leaning in right now, but, but, but maybe in the next weeks or months, I just need to let you know something. The best place for, for a grieving heart is in the family of God. More often than not, the presence of God comes to the people of God. We read the Bible. We ask the questions like, like, like we just did. Like, who is Jesus angry at? 
But the Bible is asking you questions too. And here, here's a question that this story is asking you. It's asking me. It's the same question that Jesus asked Martha in verse 25 of chapter 11. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Uh, maybe we can personalize that for you here at RBC. Maybe the question is, do you believe that God is doing something about this broken world, even though it led Chuck to think life would be better off without him? Do you believe? Man, I need to answer that. I have answered that. I'm going to have to answer that again. you got to answer that. Be emotionally honest. Don't, don't be the person who just says the right answer. And if your answer is no, or I'm not sure, or I, I just don't even want to think about it, I'm, I'm too weak to even, to, to even go there, just to say that. I mean, there's times in my life where I was too weak to hold on to Jesus. Too weak to preach. Too weak to pray. Too weak to serve. But knowing that Jesus was stronger than my weaknesses got me through. And so I, I share that with you to think maybe of a time when you think God made you strong through your weaknesses. And remember that and let it be the fuel. Let it be to inspire you to allow Jesus to walk with you, or maybe to carry you through this garden of grief. Before I say another word, I just need to, I mean, this is a worship service, so I just want to pause and say, praise God. Praise God that death does not have the last word. Christ does. Christ does. Exclamation Some of you, remember the question is, do you believe that God is doing something about this brokenness? And if you said yes, you're being honest and you're being genuine, just know that Jesus will ask you that question again. Uh, Because grief is like a wave. Something will trigger you. It could be tomorrow. It could be this Wednesday, which will be the, the one month from... Chuck's death. I'm just being honest. I'm preparing myself for Wednesday, also for Thursday, because that's when we uh, were supposed to meet next. Uh, I met ten days before his death, and that was our. We usually met the first Thursday of the month. So I'm 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 preparing myself that, that Jesus is going to ask me that question again. Could be next month. Could be next sometime. Something will happen. And a deep sadness will come over you. And, and, and Jesus is asking you the question that he's asked Martha. Do you believe? And in that moment, allow the, the, the emotions, the, the affections of Jesus to wash over you. 
How He loves you more than you can imagine. He, how He comforts you with His tears. How He gets angry at death. And, and, and that should inspire us to redirect our anger to death. One more thing before I share with you the third letter, which is from me to you, is that perhaps there are some listening online or here that you have not said yes to Jesus fully and wholeheartedly. You haven't given your allegiance to Christ, maybe partly but not fully. And you, you can do that today. You can change your story. You can flip your script through Jesus. Saying yes to Jesus means whatever He believes, you believe. Whatever He does, you do. Now, I'm not naive to realize that that some of us may be asking ourselves an honest and very understandable question. It might be an elephant in the room. It certainly is a question that this community is asking. Maybe not you're asking this, but there's people around you, maybe in this church and in this community, definitely are asking this question. And it can be worded in in a number of different ways, but here's one way. If Christianity didn't work for Pastor Chuck in his time of need, then where is the hope it can work for me? People of RBC, Christianity isn't true because it solves all our problems in the way and the timing we think it should. No, Christianity is true because Jesus is true. Jesus is worthy. He lived, He died, three days later He rose from the dead. He, Jesus can take bad news and turn it into good news. He can bring beauty out of ashes. He can bear much fruit in you and through you in the garden of grief. That's refreshing to your soul and to other people's soul. That's the Jesus of RBC. That's the Jesus who is for you. That's the Jesus who promises to that in the end he will make everything right. So if you're listening and you want to make that decision today or, or sometime this week, man, uh, tell someone. Tell a Christian friend. Talk to one of the elders. Talk to, to Pastor John. And the reason why you tell someone is so they can help you in the next steps, in your, your new life, your, your new identity in Christ. So I urge you, to follow Him, to to discover how He will live in and through you, which is so different than Jesus to come and make you a better version of yourself. What am I trying to say? I'm trying to say this. May Jesus, who gave His life away in order to take your sins away, be enough to take your breath away and follow Him. I invite the worship team to come up as we sing one last song. And and as they come up, here's, here's the third letter. Here's the third letter from me to you. 
Dear RBC, delight in God's delight of you. As you grieve, for he is with you. In the darkness, pain, confusion, and unanswered questions, he is with you. His grace will carry you where your eyes cannot see yet. You belong to Jesus. Oh, how he loves you all. Travis.